0: bread aisle are you ready to rock dave's killer bread is the country's number one organic bread for a reason always delivering killer taste killer texture and killer nutrition this isn't bread this is bread amplified so i think that i think a lot of people you know grow up wanting to do various different roles and obviously your environment really affects the choices that you make Mm -hmm. Um, and yes like you say it's it's extremely common in in south asian families for um you know our parents our elders it could be elder siblings they kind mm-hmm. of um push you towards careers that are historically very um secure and um you know they feel like if you were to go down that path then you won't have any problems with money and uh raising families etc etc <laughs> yeah and i understand where they're coming from because obviously we we come from migrant um families. And when you're a when you're a migrant, an immigrant, you know, your priority is just surviving and you're in survival mode for most of your life until you know that your children are settled and all the all these, you know, um commitments and all the sacrifices that you made for your family, it was worth it because our children went on to become doctors and lawyers and accountants and have yeah. the secure jobs and secure incomes coming in. So I understand where they're coming from but obviously as humans you know we have our own choices and our own wants Mm. and our own needs and i was quite fortunate in a way that my parents didn't really force me into any career and um uh, they 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 kind of actually allowed me a lot more freedom than my friends had at that time
1: the naughty bites podcast I'm excited to be here today with Mandeep Kaur-Nijal, Nijo, is a global entrepreneur and the founder and owner of Red Media Live and Red Media Love. She's an advocate for diversity, equality, and inclusion. Mandeep has also empowered little girls to dream big, to empower them to live the most bold, epic life in becoming a CEO, an entrepreneur, or even a founder of your very own company. For joining me today on Naughty Bites Podcast. Mandeep, you're a woman who means business, but what's your naughty pleasure when you get home after a stressful day?
0: Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> my naughty pleasure. It's actually, it be pretty, anything. it's actually pretty boring and dull, to be honest. Um I I I try to make time for myself okay. in the evenings. So um, so yeah, I'll I'll probably do some. Su- it probably sounds really boring, but I think it's something that everybody should do is um, spend time with myself. So mm-hmm. I either watch watch, um, you know, a, a TV show. I'm, I'm not watching anything right now before you put me on the spot. <laughs> but I'll, I'll just kind of do something which is doesn't require a lot of brain power. So, um, and I'm saying, I'm actually giving that as an example because sometimes I feel a bit naughty doing it because I'm so, I, I'm working all the time. So when I do that, <laughs> I, I feel like, I'm getting myself into trouble because I'm not working. So that's my <laughs> naughty pleasure. And you know what? I'll come. I'll come out of this interview, and I'll be like, maybe I should have said this, or because <laughs> <laughs> right now <laughs> I'm
1: thinking pajamas, fluffy slippers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Chocolate bar and binge watching
0: TV. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I think probably not so much the chocolate, but um, <laughs> but definitely remote in hand, pajamas on. And, um, yeah, just kind of kicking back and trying to trying to unwind and do something which doesn't require a lot of brain power. Oh,
1: that's awesome. I, mean, yeah. I think we need to do more of
0: that.
1: Yeah. So, so as an entrepreneur, um, can you tell me a bit more about your background and what drove you to set up Red Media Life?
0: Wow. Okay. So, um, how long have you got? Don't <laughs> <No> worry.
1: <laughs> You've got <Yeah>. time. <laughs>
0: I think um, I have always wanted to work in marketing. Um, but at that time, so when I was maybe 13 or 14, I I don't think I knew what it was because when I was growing up, there wasn't really kind of like, it, it wasn't as popular as it is now. Even the term marketing or PR or um, obviously social media wasn't even a thing then. Um, mm-hmm. All of these kind of um, career choices weren't really kind of like at the forefront yeah but I knew that I was creative and I knew that I wanted to do something you know which was interacting with people um and I wanted to be a part of big projects that I didn't understand what that was then but I wanted to be a part of things that had impact um okay. and I knew the only thing I knew is that I wanted to work in media I want to work in media so um so I did I did that I, I worked in in media um I worked in marketing roles and PR um and then in 2012 i set up my own agency um which i ran for many years mm-hmm. um and then um and then towards the end of kind of running that agency uh, influencer marketing became quite popular and okay. um a lot of uh, influencers were doing crazy numbers you know and growing at a m- rapid rate mm-hmm. um and um you know fan bases were their fan bases were equally kind of like you know invested in them mm-hmm. and um and I started to kind of like realize that actually if brands were to work with these influencers, um it could actually be quite beneficial for them because the reach that they have and the engagement mm-hmm. that they have and the um you know the the connection that they have with their with their fans was very very authentic and very raw. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, at the tail end of kind of, you know, running, running that agency, I started to do influencer events. Okay. So um, working with talent um, and touring with them um, and, um, you know, I kind of really understood, it, it just got me to understand that dynamic um, a lot better. So then when I end up setting up Red Media Live, which was probably not, not very long after I um uh, stopped working at that agency mm-hmm. um I realized that I actually just want to focus on influencer marketing okay. because I felt that there were certain things within that um within that role that I enjoyed so I enjoy working with talent I've done talent management in the past you know through sort of PR work that I've done so it allows me to still kind of work with talent which I love to okay. do and I kind of thrive off that energy Off influencers and um you know whether it's musicians or celebrities mm-hmm. I think because secretly it's like we, we all kind of like you know love to kind of like lead that life I but like I, I, no I wouldn't want that life but I, I thrive off that energy that they yeah. that, that they have and um and because then I was now working because I've always worked with brands and, and I've worked in marketing I understood mm-hmm. that there were, what the requirements were for marketing teams and what they would, um, what would work for them, you know, to kind yeah. of, you know, as part of their strategy. So I thought, why not combine my passion for talent management and then uh, my skills in working in marketing and just kind of focus on that. So now Red Media Live is, is an agency that focuses on um, influencer partnerships okay. and um, predominantly working with kind of, you know, um, diverse um, talent, um you know which I'm you know passionate about um and you know just working with brands to kind of ensure that they um they understand that it's important to have diverse pool of talent when they're promoting their products so um yeah that's basically I've been listening to this all day like I've
1: got so many questions running through my head um right but like what skill like you said that you were creative but what skills did you realise that you have that made you so effective in this role? Like, because, you know, for many South Asians, when you said marketing, it's so true. <laughs> South Asians don't understand what it is. Or when you say media, yeah. you don't understand it, what it is because they've been raised, the generation before has been raised in an in- industry where it's like, oh, you're going to be a doctor or you're going to be an accountant or you're going to be, I don't know, something in medicine or whatever it is. Yeah. How did you kind of step away from that, and did you get the support from your family? Sorry there's like so many questions in one there are there
0: is no so, yeah. so I think that um, I think a lot of people probably you know grow up wanting to do various different roles, and obviously, your environment really affects the choices that you make. Mm-hmm. um and yes, like you say, it's it's extremely common in in South Asian families for. Um, you know, our parents, our elders, it could be elder siblings, they kind of um, push you towards careers that are historically very um, secure. And, um, you know, they feel like if you were to go down that path, then you won't have any problems with money and uh, raising families, etc, etc. cetera. Et cetera.
1: Yeah.
0: And I understand where they're coming from, because obviously, we, we come from migrant um, families and when you're a, when you're a migrant an immigrant, you know your priority is just surviving and you're in survival mode for most of your life until you know that your children are settled and all the all these you know um commitments and all the sacrifices that you made for your family it was worth it because our children went on to become doctors and lawyers and accountants and have yeah. the secure jobs and secure incomes coming in. So I understand where they're coming from but obviously, as humans, you know, we have our own choices and our own wants mm. and our own needs. And I was quite fortunate in a way that my parents didn't really force me into any career. And um, uh, they, they, they kind of actually allowed me a lot more freedom than my friends had at that time when I was growing okay. up. Um, so, I, um, so I started university in 1999 guys 1999 (laughs) (laughs) yes can you remember that that was so long ago yes that's that's me yeah so in 1999 and a lot of my friends went to university they graduated and they got married within a couple of years after that and I didn't and that was because my family didn't put any pressure on me to um either go down a certain career path or um that my worth was just once you graduated you you have to get married so mm-hmm. I think that I always felt like because of that and it's because of that only I feel like I knew that I I mean sounds quite dramatic but I felt like you know my there was more to my there was more to my career than just that
1: mm-hmm.
0: and my life and just kind of doing all of those things and I knew that I was I wanted to do bigger things and um yeah, so they kind of allowed me that independence to, you know, figure out what I wanted to do. So to answer your question, I think a lot of people want to choose different career paths, but it's their environment that will dictate whether they will be able to do those things or not, um, especially if you're, you know, South Asian or if you come from a very rich kind of culture like ours. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, because of that, I was able to pursue it. and um, But at the same time, because I didn't have that direction, I didn't really know how to get into this into this industry, and um, so a lot of the things that I ended up doing happened by pure chance and coincidence. and um, you know maybe that's universe kind of like making it happen for me. I don't know if um, you know that that's what it was. so so yeah, a lot of things happened by chance, um, a little bit by accident, and um, I ended up getting my first job with an agency called Media Moguls. Um, who were the biggest um, sort of PR agency at that time and the only agency, I believe, at that time who were um, working with, um, you know, diverse audiences, diverse communities and tailoring, you know, speaking to brands about how they can tailor their message for, um, you know, a diverse audience. So, yeah, came across them by pure chance and accident and then I literally, um, I did my work experience there and then when I finished work experience... They offered me a job so I was quite lucky in that sense wow. yeah 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 so um when I'm back there yeah Media but, was with um they ran the
1: advertising for Bendy like Beckham as well that's right?
0: right yeah that's right so I was I was actually at the the premiere for Bendy like Beckham because the agency did the PR for the um uh for the film so um and I remember that there was um a dvd which was released of bend it like beckham and um it was like a special version and at the end they had like um uh snippets of the premiere and i remember there's there's probably like you could probably see like that much of my of my face in it and i remember thinking i've got to buy it and i you know went and i went out physically bought the the dvd copy and i'm gonna find <laughs> it now at my parents house I said oh do you know where it is they don't have a clue but I was so (laughs) proud of that I was so proud of that and I had so I got so many opportunities when I worked at Media Moguls and um honestly it's uh, so Raj and Anjana who who ran the agency um you know they really kind of took me under their wings and um uh, yeah I had an amazing time there and um yeah so um and then I stayed within the Asian media industry. You know, I went from um, from there. I went on to Club Asia Radio. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, remember that. <laughs> Do so yeah, it was, the, it was the first kind of radio station that was targeting um, the second, third generation of South Asians in in the UK. It really was kind of our voice at that yeah. time. You know, from a music perspective, from the DJs, um, the presenters. Um, it was it was pretty much everything that represented us, and okay. um, and I again fortunate enough to to get a job there, and I worked there for for a number of years. Um, after that, I went on to work for the BBC Asia Network. So I worked in uh, yeah, so I worked in the comms comms department there, and then um, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's amazing I like I'm just, like, reading out my cv I'm like, no, but, <laughs> I'm like but like you said it's it, because
1: it's so different
0: mm. it's
1: really difficult to know where to start on how to go and you know your talent speaks for itself so although you, you think it's by chance sometimes I think you when you work hard for something you get it, it it's like you've got to work you've got to work but then you've made your path but without any guidance, if that makes sense. It's like, because yeah. you've not got any like, elder to go out. Oh, you know, I worked in marketing, I can help you out. You've yeah. done this by yourself in an industry that's so un- unheard of in this community that we've been raised in. And yeah. I think it's quite impressive because it's really hard. And I think for your family as well, to see how successful you've become, they're more like, oh, you know, they'll feel proud in the way they've raised you because yeah. the way you've channeled
0: your career and make yeah. it successful yeah I mean I, I guess I've never really looked at it from that perspective so thank you um you know for for helping me kind of like appreciate my own journey <laughs> um, yes there, there wasn't any uh, support or there wasn't any guidance and you know I was very determined as you know 14 15 16 you know 17 18 up until that you know up until that point when you know I didn't have a full-time job then I was still studying I was very determined it was like I didn't know. Mm -hmm. but I kind of knew like I knew I wanted to work in media and um and you know I will actually tell you what happened um so I was at Brunel so I studied um Mm -hmm. at Brunel University in in West London and um I again you know I'd I'd gone through so I did like a at that time they called it a sandwich course so it was a four-year degree but then you do six month six month placement in in the second year and then the final year do a six month as well so I was coming up to kind of like, I did my first work work experience and, and that was fine, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And then um, I was looking for my next work experience and I thought, no, I really want to, you know. So at that time, there were magazines like Snoop that had just come out, oh which was, yeah, I know, can you remember that? Oh my God, and, okay, yeah. <laughs> And then Asian Woman, you know, was really popular at that time. And, you know, there was a few little kind of things like, you know, happening, you know, they were bubbling away, Mm -hmm. like, you know, within the Asian media kind of scene and, you know, TV channels. And um, so I, that was a real draw that to me, I I thought, okay, I'm I'm brown, I'm South Asian and I'm proud and I want to work in an industry that knows who who I am and who I'm about, Mm -hmm. but it's still media. So I knew that. I I knew that I wanted to work in that industry. So, you know, I'd reached out to, you know, magazines or reached out to people and I said, look, you know, can I do work experience? Can I, like, you know, wasn't really getting any luck um, because I I can imagine it being quite clicky in the sense that they're small companies. They probably don't have, you know, huge budgets to take people on. So they're only going to really work with people who they know and who can do work. And I was a complete outsider. So one day my friend called me and she's coming from Birmingham to see me and um, so we all know about Tandy coaches yeah. and coaches that travel from like up and down the country but <laughs> so she calls me she's like look I'm getting the coach and I'm going to come to London to see you I was at Brunel so she said yeah. the, the, the bus is gonna this is going somewhere <laughs> <you bear with laughs> so she said to me look I'm gonna the bus is gonna um, terminate in Wembley so okay. why don't you come to Wembley? You're in Uxbridge, just come to Wembley, pick me up and then we'll we'll go back there. I said, fine. So I don't think she had a mobile, you know, this is what, 99 or something or 2000. And I don't know if she had a <laughs> mobile. I don't know what happened. So I got I get to Wembley, bus is not turned up. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And I thought, you know what? I may as well just go for a little walk and I'll come back in about half an hour. So then um, on Wembley, on the, on the high, not on the high street, but there's a, there's a street there with all the Indian shops. Um that, Ealing Road. Ealing Road. Yeah, because my,
1: my my is around the corner, literally oh, really? around the corner. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. So then I thought, you know what, let me go for a little walk. So i now I've gone for a walk and and I see like a crowd of people just standing like on the street. And I was like, oh, what's going on here? And then I noticed there's camera guys, but there's a lot of a lot of brown people around this, this whole like project I don't know what was happening mm. so then I'm really curious now because there's cameras there and obviously because I'm you know kind of you know taught like drawn to the media side of things oh what's going on then I realized that everybody who was standing there was was brown and you know the cameraman and there was a photographer and I thought then as I got much closer Nina Wadia was there oh my god <laughs> and Nina Wadia was being filmed oh and I was like this is really insanely weird like what's going on but like still like immediately drawn to it and wanting to know more then I started speaking to the team that were there and I said what are you doing and they said oh you know we're filming for um I think it was a British Heart Foundation
1: okay
0: because they're doing a campaign to target South Asians about you know awareness campaign
1: yeah
0: and I just immediately was like I need to be involved in this and I said who are you guys and um and they said, uh, and and they were like, look, we're, you know, we're an agency. They were kind of fobbing me off because they were just like, who are you? You've just turned up here. We're mm-hmm. trying to work. And they said, look, you need to go and speak to that lady over there. She's the boss, and tell her what what it is that you're looking to do. And you know, because I I was just like, I want a work experience. I you know, I want to work here. I want to. I want to and like, Don't speak to that lady over there. The lady was Anjana. Oh my god! Yeah, the lady was Anjana. Oh. That was Media Moguls. That was yeah, set up. Yeah, there. Yeah if oh my, my friend hadn't have been late with her with her on her tandy coach yeah. i wouldn't have had that conversation with them i would have stayed put picked her up and then just gone back to the train station i spoke oh to her within five minutes ten minutes she's like yeah 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 here's my card you know email me whatever you know and i was just like, <laughs> so tight, like a puppy you know like h- h- you know hung around for a little bit but then i thought you know what i better i better head back and you know i went back met my friend and um and we uh you know went back to university, immediately got in touch with them. I don't know whether I emailed or called or whatever. Um, they invited me for an interview, and then before you know it, I've been offered a white placement there. Wow. Yeah. So um, so I always will remember that moment because that happened by chance. That that whole meeting happened by chance. Had I not been there, I don't know whether I would have ever knew, known about Media Moguls, um, you, know, maybe I would have, you know, maybe I would have done, but I, 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 just, I just don't know how I would have known about them and their work if I hadn't been there at that time. And that really was the catapult like to my career because that's the moment when I started working there, I realized this is what I want to do. And that was the moment for me. And that really drove my whole career. So going on to Club Asia, which again was yeah. you know South Asian radio, then going on to BBC Asia Network, which again was South Asian, and then going on to doing what I'm doing, really started at that chance meeting on Ealing Road. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh my
1: God. That's that's like a ripple effect. You know that pebble that oh. like, throw in the sea or the lake and it just kind of cut, like just everything kind of manifests. It's,
0: yes. It was that so it remarkable. was like that. Yeah, yeah. So um so yeah I um, I guess that's then when I got my direction that I needed so much and um, oh, wow. that just kind of sealed the deal almost that this this is it for me and um, you know and I've, I've made I mean you know I've made some bad decisions as well don't get me wrong yeah. you know I've made some probably questionable decisions about my career choices <laughs> and <laughs> projects that I've been involved in but I don't have any regrets I don't have any regrets at all and um, I think everything's happened for a reason and which is why you know I'm here today
1: wow because yeah so the thing you were saying I was like oh that sounds so familiar because it's similar to what I've kind of done but we'll speak about it later but, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then I have to ask you what does cultural identity mean to you like do you think it shaped the person that you've become today
0: Yes,
1: oh, so it's a really tough
0: question. Sorry, but Yeah. Know. No, I think um cultural identity. Okay. So, um I, it's funny because I actually talk about this in in this exhibition that I've just literally um released. Um and um as as I mentioned to you earlier on, there's a documentary that I'm working on alongside the exhibition and I'm asked the question in the exhibition the exact same question and mm-hmm. it's about identity and you know and I I've I've kind of looked back and asked myself um at what point did I know what my identity was and I don't think I knew what my identity was growing up I was always very proud to be um south asian and you know even at a school where it's predominantly white um I was always very vocal about who I am and what I stand for. And a lot of that I feel comes from um, my upbringing. So my dad's always been very, very proud. You know, he's always said, don't shy away from who you are. It's very important that, you know, you're not made to feel inferior because you speak a different language or you wear different clothes. So I think because I've been brought up, because my dad brought me up to be extremely proud of who I was, I think that... Has also shaped the career choice that I took. Mm. So marketing is one side of it, but focusing on, you know, South Asian, um, you know, um uh or diverse or multicultural marketing, I think stems from that kind of real feeling of being proud of being South Asian. And I don't think I knew that at that time. But now that I'm kind of, you know, sort of coming into my, my 40s now and I'm, you know, you you kind of get to this point where. Of acceptance yeah and that to me I feel like I've, yeah I feel like that you know being brought up in that environment shaped my career path in that sense and now I'm reflecting back and thinking that's exactly what it was it was because I was because I was made to feel like I'm so I should be proud of my culture mm-hmm. I've now become I've now ended up working in an industry where I promote my culture and I promote wow. being um you know um diverse and um uh, and, and selling or not selling because we shouldn't have to do that, but but proudly kind of speaking about um you know why diversity is important. That's really curious,
1: like I'm still trying to, you know, when you talk about cultural identity, you're so lucky that you're around that sort of culture and your father was so proud and to bring you up so proud. I yeah. grew up in Leicestershire and, you know, Leicester's the massive curry Mile or Golden Mile, whatever it's called on Bargrave Road. And I still figure, think thinking, I'm still fighting with the whole chat like thing of like being Salvation mm. or, you know, being Indian. But then it's that part of you where that generation also went to Africa. So then it's like, mm. I want to explore more about that. And then, you know, I've got a little one who's mixed, like totally mixed race, you know, Spanish, English, Indian, it's like <laughs> Irish, it's just like a massive yes. mix. And it's like, what does cultural identity mean? Because you're like, yeah. how do you expose them to everything? And like, you know, maybe it's the best bits of every culture that I want to like teach them about. It, but yeah. it's such a, I think it's a very difficult question because it really makes you think about mm. who you are. Yeah. You know? So yes. we, I think it's. I think it's really.
0: You can be there all day procrastinating. You can, and it is subjective because even though you know you're, let's say you're Th- South Asian, I, I'm South Asian. How we identify ourselves, and um, you know what we align to, what what we be- our belief system, and everything is is very very different. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't think that just because you're South Asian, you should. You know, only be proud of the fact that you're just South Asian. Yeah. You know, I'm South Asian. I'm British. Um, you know, we've adopted this culture. We were born in this country. Yeah. So, so yeah. You know, I'm, I'm proud to be a, you know a British Asian, and yeah. with that become with that comes so many different ways to identify yeah. yourself. Um, so even though I say I'm proud to be South Asian and I'm proud you know I, I talk about diversity all of those things but again you kind of don't want to be put into a box either because yeah. there's so many more elements and layers to to who you are so so you're right you know it's it is subjective and you know it can be difficult to kind of really put yourself into a little hole to say that. Yeah. I'm or, it's, it's,
1: it's true Because you know when you have your exams when you're filling out an application form and it's like yeah. tick a box ethnic origin, and I'm like well. Well, <laughs> like, where do it s- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to read yeah. all of these. But it's yeah. true. It's like we're like identified into a little box, but I think deep down it's way more than that. You know, it becomes yeah. a bit more like I don't know, not Pandora's box, but it kind of just unravels. Yeah. Um so I want to step like take a step back. So I want to talk about your childhood a little bit. So many South Asian households were surrounded by food, your favorite mm. dishes, and you know, mealtime is where the was the time where you would talk and discuss, you know, what you want to do, your dreams, desires, things like that. What was it like growing up for you? Like, was it similar in terms of food and talking and telling your parents,
0: yeah. "I want to do something different. I don't want to do this." Like, what was it like? So, I don't think that we had really had a voice. You know, like I look at like my nieces and nephews now. And they have like a big voice like they you know they they will talk about their wants their needs their, their aspirations their desires um very openly and there's an o- open dialogue between like you know let's say my brothers my cousins and their children about what they want to do and you know they'll they'll question the child and they'll they'll ask them questions but i think when we were growing up we weren't really asked questions there wasn't a dialogue as such not to say that we were suppressed or we were unhappy mm-hmm. you know i had a, I had a great childhood but it obviously it was very strict and very um controlled. <laughs> it, there wasn't freedom in this in that sense of speech. There wasn't freedom of speech, definitely. Yeah. And um, but food was a massive part of growing up. My house, my parents' house, was like an open house. Wow. People would just turn up at any given time of the day and say, or they'd they'd call to say, we're like half an hour away, and uh you know, we'll, um, we're popping over. Then all of a sudden, pandemonium. Like, clean the house. get this. <laughs> my dad would go out and buy meat and, and alcohol. <laughs> and, you know, my mum would jump straight into the kitchen and start chopping onions. And, you know, and it was just always just something going on. And, and I think that, actually, that adrenaline, like, it was just always there growing up. Um, and now I look back and I think, God, was that it was healthy because it was exciting but I'm not sure how healthy that is now to continue yeah yeah just thinking about it now which yeah so it was it was um it was great because we always had people over cousins I mean we've got a really big family my mum's one of eight so you know I've got a lot of cousins um from that side and my dad's got a big family too so um yeah, food was food was a, a very big part of um growing up. Um, you know, you'd be talking you'd be having lunch, but you'd all be talking already be talking about, you know, what we're having for dinner. Like we're not even That's finished, so um. And <laughs> and I do that now. My husband I <laughs> Uh, we we haven't even planned for lunch, and can we please just get past the like past twelve o'clock before we start talking about dinner? And I'm like, no, no, but I got to plan it, and it's always like a really big deal. <laughs> I did
1: exactly yeah. the same thing, and Carlos is looking at me like,
0: "Can I just, can I just enjoy this
1: moment of eating yeah. my breakfast?" And I'm like, "But I yeah. got a plan." It's the same thing. I'm like, "I got a yeah. plan. I got to go shopping." And he's like, there
0: "Yeah, there must yeah. be something in the kitchen." You know? I know, I know, <laughs> but, but so like. Preparing food in like big like you know pots like, <laughs> lots of, you know lots of meat and you know like being cooked like visually, I remember just like you know parents just in the kitchen, and my dad is actually you know he enjoys to cook as well, so when I was growing up, I actually saw my dad cooking quite a lot, wow. um which I think is quite nice because. Um, even now people say to me, oh, my dad would, know, you know, my dad doesn't cook. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't get into the kitchen. I'm like, I, I, I remember seeing my dad cooking quite a lot, you know, when, when I was growing up, um, the, the food was, you know, can, it could be hit and miss sometimes, Don't <laughs> get you know, I did see him growing up. Uh, I did, I did see a lot of him in the kitchen growing up, which I think was quite nice for a, for a girl did to you? see yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, oh, wow. so. I think that was quite a common thing, though, with, with South Asians, don't you think? Yeah, I think Probably. so, Yeah, definitely. Because, like, it's
1: a whole thing of, like, someone's coming and you have, like, those... I don't know what they're called, but they're called, like, those beach mats. So we call them a sadris. And you yeah. have them all on the floor and, and you yeah. have the like, pots and then everyone's yeah. eating and drinking and there's, like, three, four, five starters and then loads of curry and then rice and then... Absolutely. It was, <laughs> there was never just It was always that um, aniseed... Um, that oh, it's like barn, your... like a barn kind of mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: it's like colourful hundreds yeah. and thousands. But Yeah, 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 I no, exactly what you're talking about. And, yeah. and um, that would be your dessert. So as a kid, I'm like,
1: oh, this is disgusting. Yeah. You don't have chocolate. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, it yeah, really sitting on the floor was a big thing. Definitely. Sitting on the floor and eating. I actually met my cousin um, just a couple of days ago and um, she said, oh, don't you remember, you always used to love sitting in front of the TV on the floor you'd have like your you know your pot of ice cream or something and you slowly eat it and I was just like so I was like you know what we, we all sat on the floor like sometimes we just put like a cloth on the floor and yeah. we'd all sit down together and eat which I think is actually quite nice it is together as I like a it.
1: doing that Yeah, because you're all kind of sharing an experience and then like everyone's kind of together, you know. Yeah, And I, for me, it's one of my most happiest memories of a child growing up. Now life is so different and we don't have that Mm -hmm. sort of environment, so to speak. But it was one of the happiest times because that's when you're all, you know, nattering and chomping together. And it's like, you know, know, the kids are with the adult. It wasn't a thing of like men sitting in one room and the women in another room. It was like everyone in this tall terrace houses with high yeah. ceilings and you're right kind of like emerged within each other yeah. and it was it was really nice and yeah you know talk about men cooking sadly my father cannot cook really <laughs> but all his brothers cook amazing so whenever I go back to Leicester I will go to my mother's and he will make <laughs> me like Meatballs and chicken, and oh, nice like literally everything I want, he will make yeah. it. And then, you know, during my pregnancy, I got the biggest like box of food and like gachapatis parata. I had, I had yeah. um, all my green curry, you know, vegetable curries. And yeah. being pregnant was amazing because I was like, Oh, I got home cooked food and oh, like, <laughs> <good."> <laughs> in the mail. I was like, This yeah. is so good, and that's and amazing. I think men. Are really good cooks even my massa makes really good um broiler chicken more no, about they? yeah it was more about the soup because there's not much meat on the actual chicken and ah. it's more about when you have a cold you will yeah. have broiler chicken because it's all the, the nutrients from the actual yeah. chicken that you get with the spices and you just drink it more oh, than anything was well, good oh. like, like, like <laughs> <laughs> but it was really good yeah. like you mm. know but yeah okay so I want to talk a little bit about your career. Um, So, as a professional, you've worked with brands to run influencer campaigns. Um, What tools do you use to delve into the perfect influencer for that given campaign? Um,
0: So, I there's lots of different ways that influencer agencies kind of identify the right talent. I would say mine is a lot more um, authentic in the sense that it's it's quite hands on so i would physically go and do my own searches so there's softwares that you know there's there's two or three softwares at the moment that i can obviously use to track the campaigns and you know to you know, create that kind of structure behind it and make sure that we can you know identify the roi and all of those things but i think to identify the the talent for um campaign is something that i i i would do myself um i there's a lot of things that you need to be mindful of when you're um you know trying to marry an influencer with a brand so um you need to make sure that the influencer has a similar tone of voice to the brand Uh, so you know what is it what does the brand stand for what does the influencer stand for um what language does the influencer use um would that sit well with the with the brand for example um how often does an influencer post um do they have consistency so if they have consistency that means that they are very active they obviously take their career on on socials quite seriously um and so these things are obviously very very important and also just kind of you know knowing and understanding their journey so going really you know far down into that into that um profile and just checking what they might have been talking about a year ago as opposed to now Mm -hmm. Uh, how have they developed and trying to find hooks and stories that you can kind of um almost make that person the person that the brand should be working with and and you know sort of looking for stories in that way so I feel like that's very unique in, in terms of mm-hmm. what, what we do at Red Media is, you know, we go deep into, um, you know, the actual persona of the person and then present that to the brand. Okay. And, you know, my dealings with with other agencies, I feel like it's always been very top level, like, OK, these are the numbers which are very important. Numbers are important. The demographics, the engagement rates and all of those things. Um, but I feel like that you're dealing with an actual real person here. As a real person, he or she, um, or they, um, and that is what the brand should be connected to first and foremost. And then all those other things. Then would then okay, you know, do they have the engagement? Do they have their demographics, etc., etc.? So when I present my list of influencers to a brand, I'll always have a story to tell about them, and that's okay. something that I, I'm, you know. That I feel is very unique about what Red Media Live does, um, mm-hmm. and that that's a lot of kind of you know manual work there that you put in to kind mm-hmm. of like trying to identify that person is right for your brand, um, and th- that's not something that I'm I, I would ever change about what we do.
1: Okay, because I read um, I saw your this whole video on YouTube about uh, Tilda. So you did like a, com- a campaign with Tilda. Mm-hmm. Mm. How did because when I saw the clip? It was really organic you know every one of those influencers had their own take on using Tilda rice and Mm -hmm. as a kid growing up every every household had Tilda in a 20 kg bag so it was like nostalgia mixed with your home dishes um how much because every video was different how much creative control did you give to those influencers because everyone had their personal style and take on the video they created for that campaign
0: that's a really good really really good question because what happens is is that when um when a brand obviously invests in in influencer um marketing there's lots of different ways that they can be involved so they can give full creative freedom to the okay. talent and say right as long as you're sort of ticks, ticking one one two three four boxes for us the rest is kind of up to you okay. um and I think that way works for some brands, but something, a brand like Tilda, for example, which is such an established brand, it's an heritage brand almost. um, They are, they were obviously very, um, you know, kind of particular about how the content should be delivered, um, which I 100% agreed with because... um, they hadn't done a lot of influencer campaigns, so whatever that they whatever they want, whatever they um you know deliver what whatever we delivered for them, we had to make sure that it could be something that could they could use you know for now and in in many years to come. So there was quite a lot of direction okay. that we had to give to the talent for this <laughs> particular campaign. So um I mean, I won't go into the details of it, but there was quite a lot of direction. The recipes and the ingredients were all theirs, and um, but the flow of the content there was, um, you know, a a level of kind of direction that was given to them. So now you can imagine a lot of those. um, Though that content was done through COVID, so it's not like I could physically be there. So a lot of it was done, kind of like, (laughs) I mean, I could laugh laugh about it now, but it was it was very very intense because influencers have to send piece by piece content as they're filming and then I'm getting it kind of signed off you know piece by piece um but you know thankfully all it all worked out really well and mm-hmm. um, and obviously when you see the content now you can't tell that there was a lot of work that went into making sure that yeah. we were taking all of the boxes for Tilda and making sure they were happy and making sure the influencers are happy as well because a part of what I do with my talent talent you know with with my with my skills and kind of talent management is managing the talent and just kind of having their back in a way Mm -hmm. that um knowing that I know their worth um and you know kind of you know bending where where I have to maybe you know telling them to bend where they have to to kind of get things over the line so Mm -hmm. um, so yeah I I mean I hope I've answered your question but yeah there is a lot of work that goes into making sure that um the content is right because once it's filmed once all the effort's gone into it you can't keep revisiting it and you can't expect people to to refilm sometimes you have to you know yeah. and I think where you know some talent are extremely professional they understand that the long-term benefits of bending a little bit a little mm. bit for the brand and adjusting here and there it it goes a long way um, mm. because you're building a long-term relationship with the brand so um so yeah I hope that's answered the question. No, definitely. No, but it's
1: true because from the clip you can't see that there's so much work that's gone into it from behind. But when you see it, so it flows and it's quite natural. And but when you say every clip has to be signed off, you're like, oh my yeah. goodness, because yeah, it's all the background work that nobody sees. And yeah. so when you see it, it is like, oh that's that's it's a familiar type of video, you know, something that yeah. people can go, oh that's so it's a comforting video. Which is what I like. Oh, and I think hilarious. it's because it's a household brand. Yeah. And it's a heritage brand, so you know what you just said, mm. a lot of people have been going, Oh my god, oh yeah, like it's something that people connect with, which is why An I'm pretty curious. Way. Yeah. Which is yeah. why I was curious about you know how much creative control they also get yeah. because it seems it appears very organic, which is what yeah. I like about it.
0: And I think that really comes down to, you know, um how the, the project is managed as well. Mm -hmm. um you know I you know I've got a team of people you know working with me we're making sure that that whole process is seamless we're making sure that talent is uh, understands that this is important that we must get sign off from the Mm clients so I think you know working with us you know as as an agency and you know working with Mm -hmm. me as well and you know it's taking me a long time sometimes to you know almost like give yourself credit for um your input into projects but I think a brand can when I'm working on a project, the brand can be reassured that it will go the way that they want it to go, because mm-hmm. i I take that very, very seriously um you know that's a reflection on me and my work, so everything yeah. that I put out there is a reflection on me first before it's a reflection on anybody else and and I take that very seriously, so I think that um that's another benefit of kind of like mm-hmm. you know working with somebody, whether it's me or anybody else, but who knows what they're doing
1: Wow that oh, it's
0: good because you're like the
1: silent like the silent partner behind that kind of coordinates yes. it all yeah and it's it's like it's, it's that same saying you um, know what's it called my big fat Greek wedding I've said this in another podcast um yeah it, it's the woman that you know the, the the man can go any direction but it's the woman that you know, it's the neck, and she like controls it in the direction <laughs> like you want <are> that person to <laughs> go in. It's the same yeah. sort of it's the same sort of concept for this. You're literally directing it yeah. as the the main connector for everybody. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I'm I'm the person. I'm the person that kind of like will will we'll kind of make it happen and yeah. execute the whole project and <laughs> you're <Yeah>. the neck. <laughs> I'm the neck. You're the neck. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I like it. Like the neck. Yes. I think we should name this co- podcast the neck. The neck. Yeah. yeah. This series. Yeah, this oh, episode, sorry. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> so Brilliant. So
1: Brilliant. Like, <laughs> um, I'm sorry. you recently launched Red Media Love. I love the name because it's so similar to your actual company yes current company so you've been collecting and preserving memories of south asian families and you know
0: Mm.
1: what what started you to embark on this journey of storytelling because that's what you're doing you're you're Mm. sharing these experiences and, and it's you know you're really digging deep into that person's life but you're doing it in a in a more loving and caring manner of storytelling,
0: like how... -hmm. how meaningful, yeah. yeah. Mm. So I think this is going back to, you know, my upbringing and, you know, being proud of being South Asian um, and understanding kind of like the importance of what it means Mm -hmm. to be the children of immigrants um, and kind of respecting that process we may not agree with you know our, our parents or our grandparents' uh, life choices mm-hmm. or their life choices for us but i think there has to be some level of respect there and that's carried that's carried through kind of like my younger years and into my adult life but i think this whole idea really came from i think when i was kind of late teens i would hear locals in my area um you know the older generation you know, if I'd go to, like, um, you know, the Sikh uh, place of worship, for example, the Gurdwara, and I would hear the elders talking about their stories about how they came here, what it was like. They had little money, sacrifices, the racism that they faced, all of those things. And I just had an interest for it. I mean, mm. I can't, you know, I can't say any more than, anything more than that. I just had this interest for, you know, our historical stories, um, but I didn't have the tools or the resources to do anything with it, but it's something that just just was always there that I would love to document these people's stories and 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 you know preserve them and showcase them to you know generations to come so when i um so about kind of you know three or four years ago, now that I've you know gone through my whole career and you know I've built up a very good contact base, my skill set. A couple of years ago, maybe like sort of two, three years ago, I I thought, right, okay, within the next, you know, couple of years, I would like to work on projects that really kind of like, you know, highlight those stories. So I set up Red Media Love probably last year, um, or maybe, yeah, earlier last year. And I then approached my local museum um council no approached the local museum here where I live in Hertfordshire and I said look I really want to do something for South Asian Heritage Month so um you know they hadn't heard of South Asian Heritage Month I think it's quite a new uh festival anyway um yeah. or celebration should I say um so told them a little bit about it share some links and um and they had said to me that this, so this was now was kind of October 21 November okay. 21 and they said look in March um 22 which was now what five months ago yeah. there's going to be a round of funding that's available for <clears throat> projects so you should definitely pitch for the funding I put together you know my my kind of like pitch I um put it forward got shortlisted and um and then I had to basically present my idea to a bunch of councillors and MPs in my local area and then they ultimately made the decision to fund the project now the project itself this one is not about the first generation that's something that I will get to but this project is about the second and third generation of South Asians growing up in this area because they I'm you know sort of well I'm kind of third generation here but you know we had our own problems and our own challenges yeah. growing up you know yeah. um, first generation work were unbelievable how they managed to get through it because they had to. They didn't understand the language so much, and we were the opportunity to go to school and yeah, integrate yeah. in some way. But we still had those challenges of identity, as you asked earlier on. What's your cultural identity? We mm-hmm. had the struggles, and you know, do we go against our parents? Do we do we do the things we want to do, or do we do the things our parents want to do? So all of those things ultimately affected us massively. So that's what I want to address in this exhibition. And that is what we've done. <laughs> yeah. Because
1: there's the quote I'm going to read to you right now. Um, is by Wolf, um, Wolf and Peterson. Walk with the dreamers, the believers, the courageous, the cheerful, the planners, the doers, the successful people with the heads in the clouds and the feet on the ground. Let the spirit ignite the fire within you to leave this world better than when you found it. That's what I think about when I think of your Red Media Love, because you're sharing these stories. Yeah. What, you know, because I I also read on your post that, um, you know, that you did call, like, you did ask some people, but they were, you know, they didn't want to be a part of it. But do you think this documentary that you've created and this exhibition indirectly helps them give a voice as well and tell their story?
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, That's lovely, by the way, the the quote they just read. And the fact that you actually think that that reminds you of what I'm doing. I mean, that's an honour. Thank (laughs) God. Because when you're in the midst of it, you don't see sometimes, you know, you don't see the bigger picture. um, Mm -hmm. And it's important to be reminded and remind yourself. So thank you for that. Um, Mm -hmm. It it was a challenge getting people together. Um, I thought it was going to be really easy. I thought everybody would just be like, yeah, you know, I'd love to be a part mm-hmm. of it and let's let's share. But a lot of people had doubts. Um, I use the word suspicious because that's the only word that I can think of to describe people's reactions. Yeah. But people were suspicious. Where is it going? You know, and I was very transparent. I told everybody, look, it's going in the museum, it's going to be archived, and it's forever going to be, you know, there. So, yeah. you know, maybe in 10 years' time. You know the exhibition as you know the museum may want to do the exhibition again, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't really have a say in that because now we've kind of submitted everything to them, so people were very reluctant and um mm-hmm. and like you said in my post i put i wasn't going to be a part of the exhibition okay. um so that happened purely because I had to step in because um you know the people people did kind of um you know um pull out um mm-hmm. they weren't they weren't willing to kind of you know, bear bear it all, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Wow. Well, but I'm hoping that with what you've
1: created, they'll be feeling a sense of relief to go, oh, someone has experienced the same as me. So I feel like I've got to share through somebody else. It's it's yeah.
0: a moment of touching on something that they've experienced. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think everybody who's in the exhibition, um, who are kind of, you know talking about some really deep things like mental health, um, you know, divorce, Mm -hmm. uh, family setups, you know, there's death, um, you know, and legacy and all of these things. I think that everybody who watches it, even if you're not South Asian, you'll be able to relate to at least one topic that's going to be discussed by all of the six people in it. So, um, and mainly, obviously, mainly it will affect South Asians because, we're talking about how decisions were made based off the restrictions that we faced as South Asians um, yeah. growing up in a very strict environment. So, um, so yeah, and I think it will, hopefully it will normalize some things for people. They'll feel mm-hmm. like it's okay to talk about my problems because somebody's done it on such a big platform and it will inspire them to kind of maybe ease themselves of, um, you know, um, of their own uh, troubles or challenges that they had.
1: Yeah, definitely. But, this is my last question okay okay so you're an advocate for diversity equality and inclusion you know you're a South Asian woman that's you know pushing out the boundaries you're you're breaking the boundaries you you did like you're really for, for a young girl that's looking up to you or has heard of you they'll be thinking if she can do it I can do it what tips would you give someone starting out in the industry of marketing, influencer marketing, you know, something that you've kind of grown
0: into becoming? So to yeah. Say? Good question. <laughs> and uh, I'm not trying to say that I'm uh, the person that you should come to for advice, obviously, but i <laughs> give, you, give you my opinion. I think that um, educating yourself is, is key. Um, there's so many courses that are available now that, you know, sometimes I wish were available when I was growing up. Um, it's it, it's so important to understand your industry from that perspective. So if you have courses, um, you know, if you're at university, you can do other courses as well. There's so many things online that are available. And network. Get yourself out there. Go to the right events, um, you know, whether they're career career kind of events um career um uh, you know fairs or whatever it is um just put yourself out there and network with people get them to see you for who you are mm-hmm. uh, build relationships and utilize that utilize those relationships reach out to people don't be afraid to put yourself forward um if you're looking for you know an internship or if you're you know you're looking to get work experience don't be afraid to just reach out to you know, um, marketing heads for, um, brands, there's nothing stopping you. You've got nothing to lose. Um, but, but I would say that educating yourself is, is really, really important. And marketing is changing so much more on a daily, weekly, monthly basis because mm-hmm. of all, uh, you know, a lot of it's obviously gone digital now. So, um, you know, there's so many ways that you can really, um, find your niche now. Yeah. There's so many things, yeah. Find your niche as well, um, you know. And if you want to find your niche, if you feel like you can really, you know, latch onto something and develop it, you know, for me it was south, you know, the South Asian or the multicultural marketing angle. That was my thing, and I just latched onto it, and I just ran with it, and I, you know, develop, developed myself in that industry. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's probably the most obvious things that I've said, but mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes what happens is is that. We live in a generation where you see somebody on TikTok or on Instagram grow from ten thousand to a million followers in overnight. And you know, it's that hustle kind of like mentality. We've got to hustle, we gotta, you know, we gotta we've gotta got hustle, we've got to work, you know, twenty, eight hours a day. <laughs> right. But do that. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but if you're doing it, find your purpose. Like yeah focus on something that's actually going to benefit you rather than just doing trying to do, be good at everything focus yeah. on one thing and, and develop that so i mean that's a bunch of there's probably like about six or seven bits of advice that i've given there so i'm hoping whoever watches it can kind of like <laughs> take what they want from it but yeah
1: yeah that's fantastic well mandy it's been educational and absolutely wonderful having you on the naughty bites podcast and i want to say thank you so much for taking the time
0: today and having a chat with me thank you so much this has been great honestly thank you (laughs) and now for our bonus round it's the most stressful season of all name it dave for 300 points uh what is winter Oh, come on. Correct answer, what is tax season? Sorry, Dave. Whoa, who are you? I'm April from TaxAct, where we help you file for less and get more. More huh? for less? Yep, so you can turn tax season into maximum refund season. Well, there it is, folks. Tax season's the winner after all.
1: <laughs> Switch to Tax Act today and start for free. See TaxAct.com for details.